Dark Tides is a show made for an adult audience. Featuring scenes of graphic or implied violence, mature themes, horror, gore, and intense scenes. Viewer discretion is advised. For full content warnings on each episode of this coming arc, check the episode's description. Listeners to Dark Tides, a weekly paranormal actual play podcast. I am Aubrey Lydon, the host and show creator. I'd just like to give a quick content warning for this episode. This whole arc that we're going through at the moment uh, is one of the scarier things we've done. There's some pretty graphic violent scenes, uh, intense emotional stuff, all sorts of things that are quite scary. You can check the episode notes for specific content warnings, but you know, look after yourself. If these things are not good for you and your mental, emotional well-being, then look after yourself. Don't listen to them. Skip to happier stuff. Unless you're already emotionally stunted, in which case, what more what, what harm going to do? In which case, join our Patreon and listen to Solar Scar. <laughs> if you can't express yourself emotionally already, then uh, what, what's the problem? Yeah, listen. If you if you don't like violence or three twenty something year old guys talking about feelings, don't assume my uh, if those age. things scare you. <laughs> then maybe don't listen to our podcast. If you Hi, don't like listening to three twenty something year olds right, eat uh, harvest snap back black bean baked crisps, which are quite oh, good. Yum! Uh, they're quite cheap actually. They've gone on sale. And if in mm, fact you do like listening to life advice from three 20-something-year-old men. We're planning to write a parenting book later this year. Uh, full yeah, disclosure, none of us have children. children. Yep, called Sometimes You Have to Hit Kids. BJ, take or, it away. We don't negotiate with Hello. terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. If you're still here, I'm very proud of you. My name is BJ. I play Alistair Stern and Randy Last Name. Uh, yeah, that's me. Alistair's a bit of an emo who's a bit angry, and Randy is an absolute wild card. Thank you. Absolute Chester. What's up, guys? My name's Chester. I play Ernest, an absolute maverick, a total dude bro, and I play Heath. (laughs) He's here too. Chilling, (laughs) maxing, relaxing, all cool. Nice. All right, last week's episode. uh, You guys talked to a voice inside Alistair's head for a while and then talked about him behind his back. Uh, well, I mean, he's in Alistair's head. He heard all of exactly. the rest of the conversation. Heath gave a stirring speech, uh, and then they ate biscuits and walked into the dark. Meanwhile, uh, Randy was told that if you wanna, if you wanna really reach your potential, you gotta eat people, and he said no. Yeah. Well, he he didn't exactly say no. He said maybe. That's true. He actually he did. didn't refuse. He didn't refuse, but he wasn't very polite to the cannibals. The bit you didn't hear in the last episode was, and you see, the, the trick with negotiation is make them think they're winning. Now give me your arm. <laughs> you don't need that. You've got two of them. And that one's broken already. I'm going to get superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on.
The night air is cold as the combined forces of the Watchmen and the Tear Society spread out in formation, moving into the darkness and into the dead pines. Puck is leading point. She is moving quickly and quietly with a small flashlight uh, picking out the ground in front of her. She is making hand signals to the wings of this formation, which is sort of roughly triangular shaped. I believe that Alistair and Ernest, you are more into the centre, aren't you not? We are the centre, yeah. You are the centre. With uh, with Ant. Yeah. Uh, you are moving towards the right-hand edge of town where there is a bush track that winds down into the valley of Slate Ridge where you have been told the Wendigos are gathering where Randy and the others have been taken, you believe. What are Ernest and Alistair doing? Um, I'm rubbing my eye because I can't see anything. Well, BJ, we just need your voice, not your eyes. Ernest Uh, is uh, walking along a little bit further back from the group, not, you know, not dumb further back, as in he's got, like, Anthony and Sherman, like, a metre in front of him type of thing, and he's peering around and he's using his ability that he had before, switching his eyes into more like Cheshire's eyes and watching around them. Uh, make a roll for me with that, with proficiency. Nine. Okay. Yeah, you're, the the flashlights of some of the different members in the group are distracting and unhelpful, but you are managing to get your eyes into shades of grey rather than dark. Ernest leans forward and pats Anthony on the back. You right? Yeah, no, I'm um I'm good. I guess I just, I can't stop thinking about what we're heading into, but I doesn't help. Don't be afraid. I'm honestly not more afraid than I think is reasonable for the situation. I'm not freaking out or anything. I'm I'm okay. They live off our fear. And we've given them enough of it. I know. I don't intend to give him any more. Good talk. Yeah, he leans over to Sherman. Sherman, how are you doing, buddy? I'm cold. <laughs> He's like, my feet don't are cold. Touch me. <laughs> my fingers are cold. I want to go to bed. You're telling me you don't have a thermal? You should be prepared for this. This was your job, I basically. I am prepared for this. No, this is... Look, being a park ranger in Hook Bar is being a glorified gardener. Yeah, I know, but where's the gun bit come into that? The gun bit comes into that where I was really good at self-sufficiency. Yeah, it's see? When I was a teenager, I won medals in, like, solo camping expedition survival stuff. Probably because you were the only one with a gun. You're not supposed to have a gun in those situations. Look, it was the... You're supposed to be lighting fires and <coughs> making sure you don't burn down the forest. It was the 90s. It was a different time. I'm Ernest, not an uh, idiot. If you, you have a gun without a Ernest license, Sherman, can you maybe the terror police could like the kick in your door? A bit. The terror police. Oh my goodness. Both of you make a quick perception check. <laughs> I mean, I got a five. All right, I'm busy Eight. focusing on. on Ernest, you are not paying attention. Alistair, you can f- you just feel a prickle down your neck, and you turn around, and you can see Puck at the head of the group, like <laughs> flashlight on her face, mouthing obscenities at you, like pointing. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. This is serious. Nah. Okay. 
I hate to say it, Alistair, but man. You are the worst, Chester. <laughs> at, the to- at the front of the I'm trying the to bring a darker tone to the podcast, which is what we all want, and look what happens. At the front of the triangle, Puck like spins around on the top. Everyone else stops. She's like, what are you doing? Do I have to separate you two? Are you 12? <laughs> Alistair turns and keeps walking. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> idiots. She turns around and keeps going. Unbelievable. In, like, the confusion, uh, uh, as he's, like, turning towards Puck to move on, Alistair, like, kind of loses grip on the bag, uh, the the backpack that Heath gave him, uh, and it kind of falls off to the side. And he just does a little wave of, like, I'll pick it up, just keep moving. Um and he bends down to pick it up. And Aubrey, I would like to roll to peek inside. For how subtle you are, you mean? Uh, roll for how much I see. Okay. Given yep. that I'm being subtle. Uh, that's a six. Six. Uh, take a D for a stress. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's three. All right. Um, you peek inside the zipper just a little bit you've you've maybe opened the bag a third of the way or something and what you see is a nose and a mouth you see the side of Darnell's face in this bag make a paranormal knowledge roll for me okay With, with proficiency given your recent experiences ten ten uh, it it bites at the edge of your mind and you are resistant to actually accept what jumps forward but something in you the snap answer comes that's Dunnell's skin in the bag and then it's, the bag is wrenched out of your hands Alistair is kind of frozen for a second and then unfreezes himself and turns and sees Heath standing over him. Heath looks like he's about to say something, like his jaw is quite tight, but he very tensely puts, like, a finger to his lips and then points up. Alistair follows the finger. You see the sliver of moon hanging through uh, the scudding clouds and you see a flash of something high and large over the moon. You can see its shadow, the very large bird again circling above you. He mutters, don't ever let him know that you looked. And he clicks his fingers, says, lights off. Everyone extinguishes uh, their torches. Heath brings his arm back and hurls the bag up into the air. You hear the the cry of the large bird and in the very dim half-light you see it tuck its wings, roll and dive and intercept the bag. There's a strange flutter as the bag is sort of swung around and as it is sort of now shot towards the ground at a different angle, not like it's falling naturally, like it's being hit and it's following that momentum. And where it hits the ground, you see a shape roll and then bend and straighten and stand 
Um, and as Heath flicks on his torch, you see Darnell uh, shrugging his coat back on and swinging the backpack on. Alistair kind of recovers and uh, then kind of looks to Heath to lead the conversation with Darnell because he doesn't really want to. Uh, yeah, uh, Heath pats you on the back and moves towards Darnell. Darnell. Um, make a quick perception check. 11. He is fidgety and he is shifting from foot to foot. You can see his bare feet in the grass. Uh, you can see that he is scratching his his arm and rubbing the back of his neck he seems unsettled and unhappy don't know one news from above um well they're still congregating there's still more coming they're definitely meeting in that lowest section of the valley and i think i saw them take people underground Mm -hmm. they seem to be using whether they're caves or just alcoves or hiding places they're keeping them out of sight, but I think I know where at least some of them are. And given the right tactics, I think I could get close. Well, they're not storing them for food, so... We can't storm them. No. There's not enough of us, there's too many of them, and even with the I high ground... It. No. This needs to be delicate. We need to get them out quietly as much as possible and protect them if there's a chase. Okay, well, what we'll do... If you're willing, you can get in there. We can convoy them back. I am willing. I think I know what might work. What type of support can we give you? Do you have anything noisy? (laughs) Heath looks at Puck. (laughs) Puck is sort of standing some distance away, hands on hips. She's leading. She's kept her position. She's kept everyone else. And then looks at Alistair, looks back at him, and is like, "Well, I have a puck and a tank." All right. Uh, so as because I'm assuming uh, Heath and Alistair would be a, a distance from the group. So as they're walking back, he says. Well, I can go with Puck to create a distraction, but uh, I'm just I'm just worried about leaving Ant. Uh, but we could leave him with Ernest, I suppose, and the rest of the group. They're probably safest with you, especially if Puck and I are going to draw fire. I wouldn't worry too much about them. Your okay. friend Ernest is joking around a bit, but they all know the danger. They are aware of that. Even if he was a bit stupid earlier tonight, they're aware. They will. He knows what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. So. I'm training you, Alistair, not to be a gruntman. You might like it. You might like being on the front field and all that, but I'm training you to be a leader. So. And that comes with doing things better than I do. So trust in them. Okay. You're right. 
Now, which way is the wind going? Uh, Alistair, like, tests the wind. I wonder if we could start a fire. We return to Randy deep in the valley, perhaps the deepest point in his sealed prison cell, along with Jonah. What is Randy doing? Uh, Randy is slowly pacing around the room, inspecting the walls and then the roof and everything for any kind of way to climb out or any weak points that he could break through, anything like that. Okay, make a quick uh, survival check for me. Uh, That's a 10. Okay. Um, Randy is not a survivalist. He's not... It's not his thing. He's not even really a camper when it comes to it. But he knows his police procedure. He's looking for any weak points he can exploit. And at this point is when he realises that the only real way out is through the passage that's been blocked and he might be able to move those logs they are very large and very heavy but it would be noisy however there is a sliver in the roof of this sort of cave where the moon is shining in and the sliver would be big enough to squeeze out of if he could reach it the only problem is that there's no place for him to reach it and it's about a good two and a half meters above his head yeah, sure. And Jonah wouldn't be able to climb that way. Not with his arm, no. Okay. Uh, all right. So does he have... Um, he doesn't have his radio? No. Okay. Are there any, like, sticks or logs just, like, yep. lying around? Great. Okay. There's some branches and things that have fallen in here over time. It was more open until the Wendigos had closed it up to be more like a prison cell. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm going to start breaking off sticks uh, like the longest straightest sticks that I can find if I have to yeah probably get maybe three long lengths to be long enough uh, I'm going to take my shoelaces out and use those to tie those sticks together to make a long a long pole essentially mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm going to rip one of the yellow sections of my fireman's uniform apart using like a rock or something to to cut through the the fabric Mm -hmm. tie that to the end of the pole and then basically make like a flag that i can push up through the through the thing so that if i hear somebody coming i can signal them so that they know where i am basically okay yep that sounds good as you are working on this um Jonah shuffles to try and help you tie the sticks together. He's limping badly. His, right, his legs right. are both fine. It. It's okay. I can I can move a little and I'd rather be busy. Okay. Uh, well, Listen. hold this end here and I'll pull it tight. Like this? Yeah, that's good. Um, Listen. Yeah. I'm not going to be... I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not being... It's okay. You you don't need to preface whatever you're going to say. You just say it. Randy Randy will t- Randy can take it. Those things are fast. They're a lot faster than us. And 
I can only assume that they can track by smell or by sight or any of those things. These things are real predators. I'm too slow and I'm too weak to do much. Now, I trust Heath and I trust my boys up there. If they can get me out, they will get me out. And if they can't, honestly, nobody can. But you, you could make a decent run for it. So I want you to take this. And he hands you his phone. I've taken Ah, the password off. There's photos and there's recordings and there's a note for my family. If I don't make it out, give this to Heath and he'll see it gets to my family. I'm prepared for this. It's part of our training at the nursery where they train us knowing that any mission could be your last is always drilled into us and my family knows that too but I have good reasons for doing what I'm doing my point is I'm going to see this thing through and I'm going to make sure that you get out of here I mean what's the worst thing that they can do to me eat you pretty much yep that's that that's yep and i'm again not to be like morbid about it but i don't want to die in a hospital bed you want to die doing what you signed on to do right yes and call it stupid pride or being bullheaded but i don't want to see somebody else die for me when I could have saved them. So I'm going to give you the best shot I know how to give you when we see an opportunity. You take that phone and you run like hell and you get back to the others. And if you can come back for me, come back for me. I'm not going to say, like... I, I, I got you. Thanks. Randy takes the phone and puts it in, like, the closest, most secure pocket he can find. He's like, if worst comes to worst, I'll make sure this gets to heat. Thank you. But hopefully it won't come to that. So here's the plan. <laughs> we see a very yeah. fast, very detailed... Uh, montage of Randy's plan where he uh, uses blood from Jonah on the end of the stick to like attract a bird of prey who will pull the stick up uh, and who will like (laughs) they'll climb out he'll like pull the bird down (laughs) use the feathers to do something Uh, he'll climb out they'll they'll like repel down yeah (laughs) like a poison dart um, and they'll they'll move tree by tree and they'll do all this stuff and he'll like use bird calls to distract animals to like call in deer to help them and <laughs> and move up the hill and he'll he'll collect all of the prisoners and the injured people as they go. He'll carry them all on his back. And then there's a there's a and then there's literally he, he describes that part in great detail. There's literally a scene where they're about to cross a stream and like Moses at the Red Sea, he parts the water using a stick and <laughs> lets everyone cross. Yes, but make a quick perception check. 
That's a two. He is so deep in this narrative. You're holding the stick with the flag on it so it's like up out of the crack so that it's visible and you're telling this narrative and the the stick keeps kind of like moving and jerking and like in your hand and you're getting quite frustrated by the fact that it's distracting you from the story that you're telling. (laughs) As something's like tugging on the end of your stick. Wait. Oh, that's... Hello? I mean, um... Hello? As you look up, you see... Um... Hmm. How to describe... You see the flash of dim moonlight reflected in uh, glowing, not glowing eyes, but they're reflected on very large eyes. And you see that what is tugging on the end of the stick is a very large paw, a cat-like paw with claws. And you hear the low whine of a feline creature. Do they have mountain lions here? Uh, Jonah is sort of squinting it. It's then that you hear the soft scuff and um, the flop as a rope, a roll of coiled rope drops through the hole. Well, let's hope they're friendly. (laughs) Come on, we're getting rescued by a mountain lion. Don't question it, just climb. Oh, wait, you can't climb. Okay, uh, I'm going to tie this onto you. Uh, Yeah, Randy uh, starts tying the rope onto Jonah and, like, helping him grab onto it. All right, you um, make a quick strength check. <laughs> That's a 12. Oh. Right, Randy is the strongest boy. All right, for a 12, we'll say that you you climb your way up the rope. You realize it's been secured somewhere at the top. You get to this crack in the ceiling, and you're able to wedge yourself in. You wedge your legs through, and you haul yourself up and over as quietly as you can. Um, and with the 12, I'll let you ride that to start pulling Jonah up. You basically swivel around so you're sitting on the ground. You plant both legs into the fissure in the ground and start hauling over your back and shoulder using your whole back, like almost like a rowing team. This motion of in reach, pull with your entire legs and back as you haul him up, and then you change your grip okay. and pull again. Yep. Uh, and you're hauling. And yes, there is a mountain lion, a very large mountain lion. Make a quick perception check actually on the mountain lion. 12. Again. 12. In the moonlight and the fact that it's very close, it doesn't look well. Its fur is uh, unhealthy and matted, almost patchy in some places. The skin around its muzzle seems discoloured and around its eyes too. Um, It doesn't look like it doesn't look quite right if that makes sense. Okay. Something about it seems wrong and unsettles you but you can tell that it is friendly and there's an intelligence in those eyes that in other situations would probably be quite worrying to you but you are focused at the moment yeah sure and you can see that there's a backpack lying nearby right uh as <laughs> from which as the, the rope has obviously come okay as they're pulling on the rope, Randy is like, as he's heaving, he like kind of chuckles and he's like, <laughs> so uh, I wonder if you're uh, Tears version of a, uh, of a canine division. <laughs> uh, the, it gives like a low whining growl, not quite a hiss, but like an unhappy sound. I'm sorry if that was offensive. <laughs> All right. You managed to haul um, him right to the crack and... Jonah gets his good arm through and starts hauling and trying to get his legs. Now, I want both of okay. us, both of us are going to make uh, stealth rolls. Okay. 
Uh, that's a five for Randy. I don't know if... I don't think Randy would have a plus to stealth. He's not a very stealthy guy. I would say he probably has... He's police and he knows what he's doing. I would say he has a plus two. Okay, uh, that makes it a seven. Okay. Uh, that's... Jonah manages a seven as well. He'd have about the same bonus. Um, okay. Which is a mixed result. So I'll give you the option. Either in the struggle to get uh, Jonah up, you kick some rocks down into the cavern itself or you make enough sound to alert people above ground. So basically I'm saying you're either making sound above ground or below ground. Below ground. Uh, below. Either they're going to know either they're going to know that something's going on down below or they're going to start looking up above. Either way. So it's up to you. Yeah, okay. Um well, I would say below just because there's more chance that they're going to think that it's noise coming from the chamber where the people are imprisoned. Okay. Yep. You, you, yep. you, there's kind of, uh, you dislodge some of the dirt and small stones that are around the mouth of this little fissure and they tumble and crack and bang as they fall down below into the rocky cave. Okay. And with a nat one, no one's going to notice. Oh! Yes! Yes! All right, you haul Jonah they're out. They're just like, oh, they're just someone end. eating someone. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back mm. to my arm. <laughs> oh, that's my <laughs> arm. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, you realize that you are still very low in this valley. Uh, you're also in kind of a back corner to your left and behind you where you are is very sheer rock that goes all the way up unless you're a mountain goat you're not going to be able to climb that uh sure forwards though is um a difficult terrain of mishmashed boulders and fallen trees that leads further up into the valley you're kind of in more of like a sinkhole here at a low point you can hear now uh the sound of the waterfall much closer you can tell that that sort of where you are, it's on your right-hand side along. Yep. Um, and you can hear the occasional howl and response from the Wendigos deeper into okay. the valley. But you basically have to head towards those sounds to be able to get to somewhere where you could start making your way up out of the valley. Also, right. the town is on your upper left, by the way. Did you? Would you have wrapped, like um, coiled up the rope again as you'd got uh, Jonah out? Uh, I feel like Jonah probably would have done that while Randy was talking to the... Okay. He calls it the road. The mountain yeah. lion um, brushes past you and yanks the the rope out of the mouth. Uh, sorry, out of um, Jonah's hand and in its mouth it, it kind of squirrels it away into this bag and grabs it by the strap and holds the bag in its mouth and it starts trotting off. It seems unable or unwilling to communicate with you in any kind of okay. more straightforward function. But it is keeping to the shadows, it's keeping low, and it keeps stopping and looking at you. Okay. Um, well, I guess I guess it wants us to go this way, so can you walk? Here, I'll help you. Come on. I was going to make a quick roll moving. for Jonah. Uh, he is really struggling. He okay. is leaning very heavily on you and limping. Um, you can see that he has bandaged. He's used parts of his jacket and his... Uh, shirt underneath to to strap up his legs but there seem to be pretty deep lacerations in the calves and the ankles okay neither of them are very good mr 
Mr. Mountain Lion. Mr. Is that Mrs. It could be. I'm not sure. Uh, Mountain Lion. Hi. Can you... Uh, <laughs> it's like a Pokemon. Can you Mountain Lion. Carry, Mountain Lion. Can you carry him? Maybe He's like, how do I communicate with him? <laughs> Mountain Lion's like looking at you. Uh, actually, let me just... <laughs> he's trying to like do Natural hand 12. Of, like Natural 12. It looks at you with somehow a pitying expression and just shakes its head <laughs> like, no, no, I can't carry him. But, but I, I could lift him onto your back. Uh, how big is a mountain lion? Uh, probably not like It's like the size big. of a large dog. Yeah. It's okay. not <laughs> a pony. <laughs> Brandy's like, fair point. Uh, and then Randy, I guess, I guess I'll just do a strength check for how much he can help. Yeah. Uh, oh, only a three. Yeah, Randy's also struggling to okay. hold his weight. You are moving slowly. That's what this is yep. going to come down to is speed. Because you can you can help an injured person. You're not going to be unable to help them or, or help them. Yep. But you're not going to be fast. You're going to be slow. And Randy's too weak to, like, fireman and carry or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. You are quite exhausted and hungry and dehydrated. You are by no means at your best physical condition for this sort of thing yeah especially after lifting him out okay here's what we're going to do in order to get through the valley to the point where you can start climbing the side up towards the town you're going to have to make four stealth checks okay now darnell is going to help you so he is going to give you a bonus of three to anything you roll but because okay. you are moving slowly and struggling, you're not going to have advantage on any of your rolls. Now, so it's just a straight roll plus three. Yeah. It's so a straight roll plus yeah. three. We're going to take them one by one, situation by situation. Um, if you okay. fail any rolls, you're going to have to figure out how to either hide, um, redirect, or get your way out of that situation. Otherwise, you're going to be in combat. Yeah. So basically, with the plus three, okay. you can't roll anything lower than a five. If you roll anything five and up it's a success anything below a five it's a fail yep yep because well, of that yeah because that possible well, i possible. will yeah. and i'm going to roll each time you do it i'm gonna roll for if you sorry if you uh don't succeed i'm gonna roll for the wendigo's awareness because they could still not be paying attention if you fail sure. because okay. they're not ex- they're not expecting anyone to try to escape and they're not expecting to be attacked even the nature of the Darnell town, they didn't hear Donnell coming. They're not actively searching for you. So only if you make a mistake will they roll to see if they notice you. Okay. All right, Randy. Here he goes. That's a two, which is a five. All right. No, they're going to roll to see if they notice you. Yeah. Well, they got a two. Oh. Plus their senses is only a five. So evens um as you you help jonah up a particular little incline in the valley you're you're climbing over what is effectively like large stones and mounds of earth that have slid down from higher up in the mountain range down to this point so this is relatively new terrain there isn't like a whole lot of trees and stuff there are young trees and bushes and things because this has happened maybe a couple of years ago um but as you haul him up to the next section, he groans. Um, a couple of rocks are dislodged, and there's sort of a scraping sound. 
but at the same time as you peek your head over the sort of next little lip of your trek upwards you see a figure slinking off away from you towards the waterfall and you wonder whether the waterfall is helping to cover your sounds this close to it okay okay yep now make a quick perception check from where you are now three three um it is dark and the wind is still moving the trees and the small trees in this valley it's hard to pinpoint down anything but there is movement all around you you just can't tell what is trees and what is creatures down here but you still hear the howls okay uh, I rolled a seven to see if Randy was still wearing his sunglasses. Uh, so that's a mixed result. So I'm going to say he is, but one of the lenses is broken. Sure. So he doesn't have disadvantage <laughs> sure. looking in the dark. All right. Uh, all right. So second stealth roll. Uh, the mount. Yeah. Make a roll for me. Uh, 11 oh. with the bonus. Okay. As you, uh, now that you are heading, you've kind of reached a lip and you're heading downhill a little bit before it goes up again. You're kind of in this little divot. Um, moving down is much easier than moving up, you found. And now that you're kind of aware, you can see that the mountain lion is picking a path for you. It's showing you where to step. It's showing you where to move from this stone to this stone. Um, and it's deliberately avoiding areas of terrain that would be louder or more difficult for Jonah. But you can see that okay. it's leading you diagonally down further into the valley almost. It's not staying to the, the complete edge closest to this sort of sheer drop, sheer side that comes down to your yep. left. So it's easier terrain, but not as fast, like not directly away. Not directly away. And in this instance, it's angling you further into where you believe the Wendigo is to be. Okay. So you make it a bit further on. Um, you come to the next rise, and again, you have a better view of the valley, and you can make another perception check if you want to. Uh, yeah, I'll go for it. That's a 10 this time for perception. Okay. As you are kind of crouched in your, uh, thankfully, almost camouflaged clothing, really, um, you are staying low in the shelter of these bushes that are moving in the wind, um, and it's very much kind of keeping you hidden you can see a cleared area of ground further below uh, you can see basically a place where the rock is close to the surface there aren't as many trees growing uh, it's not quite circular it's more oval shaped there are several dead trees that have fallen uh, across this sort of slightly open space and you can see that they are gathering there you can see antlers shining in the slivers of moonlight uh, you can see hunched shapes and you can hear the murmur of inhuman voices further below you. They seem to be meeting and discussing. Interesting. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, Randy will definitely keep moving, though. If he was on his own, 100% he'd get closer. But <laughs> uh, It's a seven. Okay, a seven is a mixed result. We'll say with a mixed result, I'll make them roll, but they won't roll with their bones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Natural one. You were <sighs> extremely lucky tonight. <laughs> all right, all right. Good, good. You make a few false moves. Um, you you sort of skid a little bit. Your footing is lost, and a sort of shower of dirt 
runs down as you kind of step down from this this next little lip. Um, but as you do so, just at that moment, the wind picks up a little bit and you hear one of the voices down below you is raised in a roar of outrage. Ooh. And you can see a murmur spread through this gathered group of creatures. As you continue to run on that that check, you uh, come to a place where Darnell has brought you the closest you've yet been to the Wendigos. Uh, you basically have to divot down before you can move back up and further away to travel down the valley. Yep. You are standing in a clump of pine trees uh, that kind of border the edge of the valley and you can hear some of the conversation from this meeting and you can see figures stalking through the trees. Make a quick perception check for me. That's a nine. Okay, with a nine, it takes you a moment, but you realize the voice you can hear is familiar and then you realize that it is the voice of the man who spoke to you in the cave. And as you get low trying to see through the trees you can peek the um a little into this sort of throng of creatures in the cleared circle and you can see the man you saw before the man who spoke to you standing there many of the others are are not in human form they're in the wendigo beast form some of them stand as if like humans but others do not and you can hear cord's voice raised to quell the arguing that's going on. And he says, I hear you, I do hear you. But there is no arguing, there is no discussion to be had. If we are going to survive, if we are going to thrive, we cannot be scattered. We are not pack animals, we don't like to hunt as pack animals. That doesn't change the fact we need an alpha. We need a king. We need a leader. We need to organize. I know the old ways. I respect the old ways. Yes, I do respect the old ways, but the old ways are not going to see us through. Tradition is important, but practicality is more important. We need an alpha. So the strongest step forward. The strongest will fight. And the victor will be our leader. Oh, boy. All right. Make another stealth check. This is your last one. This will see you to the edge. Come on, Randy. Come on, Randy. It's it. 11. <gasps> All right. <laughs> All right. That does very well. <laughs> um, yep. As you you manage to round, you can hear that there is a clamor um, of, of inhuman sound and human voices of people protesting and the occasional howl down below. And you are very grateful for the fact that they're choosing to have their general meeting right now uh, as you slip away with... Jonah and the bobcat uh, the mountain lion you make your way out you can see as you get further away uh, you seem to be getting further and further away from the actual grouping of creatures 
Um, make another perception check for me. Nine, again. Okay, a nine is a success. You don't know if you're alone. There is movement behind you. It's hard to pin down where they are, but something else is moving out there. And you don't know whether it's coming towards you or away from you, if something just happens to have crossed your path or not. Darnell okay. seem you can see the the rough of Dar, uh, sorry the rough of the mountain lion's neck kind of raise its hackles as it is looking in that direction and it begins to kind of move a little faster. Okay, so not friendly. No. So it's ahead of us. Behind you. It's it's behind us. Potentially chasing us, but we're not sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think Randy's instinct would be to climb a tree and hide, but Jonah can't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. How how much distance do we have between the camp and like the the town? Uh, a, a good kilometer at least up a steep hill, maybe a kilometer and to half the town. To the town. Yep. And like what? It's going to take you maybe 20 the... minutes to get, especially at the speed you're going. If you were on your own, maybe 10 minutes of kind of fast hiking to get up this slope with with Jono, it's going to be significantly more. It's going to be 20 odd minutes. Okay. Uh, as they're starting to move, Randy realizes that something's up and he doesn't know what's chasing them, but he knows that they can't outrun anything really. Uh, so he's gonna kind of click his fingers a bit. He's like, uh, "Mountain lion, hey!" Mount, turns mountain. to you, bag your mouth. Lion. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Ah, uh, and he like slowly moves up so he can whisper. Uh, just for the sake of expediency, I'm gonna assume you know my friends and that you know where they are. Am I right? It nods. Nice. Can you find them and bring them here? It nods again. Because I can't defend Jonah on my own and we're not going to be fast enough. I don't want to leave him, but you're fast. You can run. You hear it kind of makes a low whine um, and then begins sort of snuffling around the ground and then starts uh, hitting... It's been heading you kind of diagonally up and to the left to head up this this slope as you're getting towards it. It now heads uh, down a little bit and further forwards and it finds sort of a cleft in some large rocks emerging from the ground, somewhere a little bit more sheltered, a bit more out of the way, a bit easier to defend with your back to something. And it tries okay. to lead you there. Yep, uh, I bring... Um it's going to say Donnell. I bring Jonah down there and I'm going to roll to find some kind of a weapon. It's on the floor. Let me roll again. It was an eight the first time. That was a natural one. All right. Uh, you are like looking around. I don't, I don't look for a weapon then. <laughs> no, no. You're looking around and you're like, hmm. And you're le- you go down to the ground and you're like uh, weighing up the benefits and the pitfalls of different rocks. And you're going like, this one's rounder. <laughs> 
and it's heavy. This one's smaller, but it's jagged. Then you squeeze one, realize yeah. it's a pine cone. <laughs> yeah, and then and then there's sort of a scuffling <laughs> and a um, and a, a grunting as the mountain lion drops the bag and starts scratching and digging at it until it opens one of the side pockets and very it's there's nothing dexterous or elegant about it as it's trying to get something out of the pocket um and as you randy walks over to help because i feel like he would naturally do that as you reach and you find a pretty heavy uh bush knife like a, a utility purpose camping knife type of thing uh but well made and heavy Randy picks it up and smiles. She's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's better than a rock. Thank you. Right. It takes up the bag again and it vanishes into the dark. Hi, it's me, the real Alistair Stern. You probably know me from Tier Headquarters or the Overwatch 2 Reddit page, but what you may not know is that I actually star on a paranormal actual play podcast called Dark Tides. And man, let me tell you, it can be tough out there risking my life for the entertainment of a few people listening at home. Who wrote this? This this is garbage. Well... For all the dangerous and traumatic situations I put myself through, I only ask one thing, and that is that our listeners head over to Apple Podcasts and give Dark Tides a five-star rating. See, unlike other social media platforms, podcasts are shared to new listeners based on the reviews they receive, not necessarily the number of downloads. So help me and my crazy friends reach new li- I, I don't even talk like that, man. Crazy friends? Head over to Dark Tides on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and rate our show, or even write a review telling us how, how natural our ad reads are. Really? For goodness sake. Am I done here? Can I leave? Heath has been calling me this whole time, I need to. Yes. Right, we return to the rest of the group, the mixed tier and watchman group further up the hill. Um, you've moved basically to the the beginning of the slope down towards the valley itself. That's where um, you've halted on Heath's orders and Puck is still on point. So Heath's got Puck next to him and Alistair still with, uh, I suppose, his group. Mm-hmm. And he's just uh, squatting down, staring down into the valley with radio in one hand tapping it slowly against the side of his temple, waiting. All right. Make a quick perception check for me. Eight. All right. Um, You've been waiting here for maybe 45 minutes, maybe the best part of an hour since Darnell left. And that's when you hear a bird cry from high above and looking up, you see the large wingspan of the dark bird that you know to be Darnell in one of his shapes um, and this is the signal that you had agreed upon previously was the bird call as it flies above circles you um, twice and then heads swoops low so that he's much more visible and is heading directly down the valley Okay, Heath doesn't speak or anything he just points Puck nods Alistair catches that as well and he just 
like looks to Ernest and Ant and Sherman and just nods as well and then runs off into the darkness no. uh, after Puck. Puck is using a pen light to pick out the footing and she's uh, basically leading you away. She's leading you to the left further down the the edge of the valley, basically um, away from the waterfall, away from the, the, the end where you know that Randy and the others were supposedly taken where Donnell. So you're heading out the other way to try and um, distract them further down the valley. Yeah. Uh, so I got a nine. Do I see where Darnell flew to? Yeah, you can, you maybe not the exact spot, but definitely in the right direction. Heath cracks his knuckles and kind of pinpoints the area and mutters, go dark. I'm going to extract them. And he starts to move slowly down the hill. And so this would be a separate plan of, of um, for like tier would be that they are going to move down, but it's not in the form of force is that they go down in like their pairs to create almost a ladder of mm-hmm. tier. So uh, every yeah. couple of meters, the one stops, next one keeps going, stops. So they're making a human chain. A human tunnel, basically. Like tw- 25, 30, 40 meters between each person kind of thing. Yeah, so they can slowly reach to that person type of thing, but completely dark, right. no and lights. Keeps their, keep them from getting cut off. Yeah, and so okay. he's leading that. Yeah, they're all very serious. They're all very quiet and moving as stealthily as they can, and they are heavily armed. Um, I'm assuming that the watchmen are included in this chain either independently or they're like paired with someone else in the chain. They're they're kind of paired with someone else in the chain. Right. But Ernest is now walking along with with Heath, and Heath is biting his tongue to argue because he doesn't want to be loud. Uh, Sherman yeah. has gone halfway down and has found a, a slightly clearer ground with a little raised bit where there's a large rock that sort of makes a little outcropping and he's set himself up there with a the rifle because he has a good view a fair way down into the valley from there yeah uh, and has and, pushed his way as far down as he's sort of been allowed to go yeah Ernest finger salutes the two of them and keeps going down yep they nod puck and alice do you find an outcropping where you get a pretty good view down into the valley you're kind of at a slight breaking point in the tree line a little rocky spot here. Uh, Puck also has her backpack on, not just the tattoos. Uh, and as she begins to uh, kneel down and go through it, she's looking for something useful. All right, so here's my thought. We did talk about setting a fire, but my problem with that is I feel like that's too obvious. Like if we set a bushfire, they're going to immediately think that we're trying to draw them away from their base. So I think we set up, uh, I don't know, some kind of a fire trap. Maybe we try and cut down some trees or something. That'll certainly be loud. But we don't light it. We fire off a couple of gunshots or something, make some noise, lure them down here, and when they're about to get here, then we set the fire for added chaos. Mm -hmm. Because if we do it now, they're going to know what's up. What Alistair can see kind of in, in the shape of the, the the land and like where the trees are around him. And I do have um, night vision. So I don't know if that gives me a plus. Mm-hmm. Um, basically to try and find if there's a good place we can trap them or bottleneck them where we'll have an advantage and try and keep as many busy and contained as possible. Yeah, you can roll with advantage for your night vision stuff. Uh, 11. 
with advantage. Right. Um, you don't have really the option to bottleneck them, but you can see that below you, um, the the outcropping that you are on means that as a result, the the ground below you kind of drops away in a groove to either side. Uh, you are sort of at the the pointy triangle edge, so therefore there's sort of two edges running down into the valley, two slopes on either side, uh, meaning that anything that wanted to come directly at you would have to make its way up this slope. And because of the shape of the valley, this is relatively clear of trees because a lot of water will pour down this way in heavy rain and stuff and dislodge a lot of the dirt. Yep. So you can see them coming in these two different streams, basically. I agree, but I don't think fire is the way to go. I think something a little more showy. And she pulls... Uh, more showy than fire? Uh, yeah. And she pulls out of her bag uh, a couple of small canisters of what the tier operatives affectionately call Greek fire. Ooh. Uh, this is a chemical compound that is designed more or less like a grenade. Um, it has a, a chemical switch where you would twist the top, which releases a chemical reaction. You would throw it and it would explode in fire. So instead of exploding to create uh, shrapnel or damage the way that a normal grenade would work, this explodes to create uh, a wide arc of fire. It's like an incendiary yeah. grenade. It's like an incendiary grenade, okay. basically. And she's, okay. she says... I reckon when we know we've got their attention, if I lob this, you reckon you could shoot it? I like where this is going. All right, well, Puck uh, pulls out four canisters of Greek fire and she lines them up like beer cans for a, a shooting range on the edge of the rock and she pulls her 9mm from the holster in the small of her back and she goes, well, on your marks, and then fires two shots over her head into the air. Yeah, for good measure, she she cracks a flare and tosses it out and down into the, into the gully below to kind of give a visual sign of where they are type of thing. We return to Heath and Ernest. Right, have we reached our boys yet? Yeah, you you can see the bird above is very silently uh, circling and it seems to duck down below the tree line to find somewhere to perch. Uh, you're not far, you've got maybe 20 minutes. You can see a small outcropping, meters. sorry, 20 metres. You can see a small kind of cleft of rock down below you that is your best guess of where anyone down here would be hiding. Uh, make both... Both of them can make perception checks for me. Yeah, and that's to have advantage because mm -hmm. he's got the eye thing going on. Uh, so Heath got an eight, Ernest got a 12. Ernest, you can see that there is movement deeper in the valley, not that far away from you. If you were to do anything particularly loud, particularly flashy here, you would probably alert a presence. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, I suppose Heath sees Alistair and Puck starting there. Uh, yeah, show. you you hear the reason maybe that you are aware is that when you hear the crack of gunfire and you see a flare dropping from higher above, further down the valley, you can see the movement as heads turn um, and as shapes begin to move in that direction. Okay. 
well, we come over, we continue along until we find where the bird is perched. Okay. We find the yeah. other two. Uh, it's hard to see because he's so large and melds into the darkness high above, but um, yeah, you can see that there he seems to be high above this little rock alcove. Okay, well, Heath pauses for a second, putting his finger to his lips to Ernest, and then reaches behind his back and pulls out one of his batons before turning around the alcove and looking along it. He just sees squarely in this this cleft of rock Randy knife out in like Krav Maga blade first hand after it ready like lowered stance completely ready to go does not matter what comes around that corner just sees Randy yep. like ready to take on anything um and yep. you can see Randy like about to go forwards like alright we're starting and then he realizes it's not a win to go yep and then he's like ah and then he like chucks the knife up flips it catches it by the handle and he's like good to see you. we were getting worried cool go and he like reaches around you and sees he like looks around so he only sees the two of them yep only the two. he pauses for a second his shoulders kind of slump a little bit. And then he grabs Randy and Jonah around the waist. And you're both about to like protest when you suddenly feel like the complete weight leave you both. It's all right. I can walk. He... Oh, Ernest reaches around and grabs Randy's hand as well and starts pulling him out. He's like, come on, Randy. Let's go. Come on. And Whoa. he just starts to backpedal out of the little alcove and starts to, to run up the hill. Right, are you stealthing? Not stealthing. Stealthing, yeah. All right, make a stealth roll for me then. Uh, Randy can make an assisted one, so you roll twice, take the high. So no pluses for this? Uh, unless you have a stealth ability. Not 12. Doesn't matter. All right, seven for Randy. <laughs> uh, okay. Seven for Randy. But does Randy need to roll if I'm hold literally... Well, holding them because he could be protesting or whatever else, and okay. he's not used to this. It could be odd, but yeah. he's seven with Randy. Right. You kind of catch yourself on a tree at first, Randy. You kind of kick off and go, "Well, okay, odd, odd." Yep. You kind of over overcorrect from that. Um, all right, yeah, you begin heading back up. Uh, Heath glances over at the big bird as he passes it. He smiles and mutters, "Watch my back." Yeah, it takes off. What's Ernest doing? Ernest pauses for a bit. It's like, did he just carry Randy and this other guy out of that cave? Why are you just going to start running after them? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, your stealth was a nat 12. Unfortunately, so was an investigation check. Ooh. So as you begin moving up, uh, it's you hear more gunshots from further down. Um, and you hear the flap of wings from high above you. As you begin relaying your way up the ladder, uh, you can see it sort of retracting. These people are moving further up uh, in time with you. They're spreading out. You hear a scuffle and then a whimper, and then you hear a howl from below you as one of the Wendigos sort of catches the scent. Now, unbeknownst to either of you, this is the same Wendigo they came very close to sending you earlier and had sort of picked up his following the fact that there is an unfamiliar scent here. 
Um, okay. But he hasn't seen you. He just has found a trail. So now as you are rappelling up, you are moving from, from rung to rung of this human ladder. As you reach each tier operative, they spread out to cover your retreat. Um, and Darnell flies high above. It is at this point that you see a sharp movement as something slides out of the shadows and is running fast on all fours up the embankment. Heath pulls his radio from his pocket and chucks it behind him for Ernest to catch. Ernest catches it and he says, call the other two in. Ernest flicks on the radio and just flicks through them, talking into them as he flicks through them. He's like, Alistair, Puck, we've got to go. Puck and Alistair, you hear this crackle through the radio. Uh, is Alistair holding it or Puck? Uh, probably Alistair. All right. Puck goes, mm, that sounds like a go-ahead to me. That sounds like a retreat to me. That sounds like a we need backup to me. If they're pulling them out, Ernest, I think we want... Do you want... need backup? <laughs> Ernest crackles back through. We've got them, but some are moving in on us. That sounds oh. like a go-ahead to me. That sounds like a come back and help them to All me. Right. Tell me when to pull. Uh, Puck scoops up one of the canisters of Greek fire. All right, hold it. Because we're waiting till we see anything to attack, though, right? Yeah, you actually okay, make perception checks. That's a good point. They were heading your way. Uh, five, yeah, five. You are unsure as you're holding the radio and you're kind of processing what Ernest is saying. Puck is leaning down over, like, looking down. And she goes, I mean, they're moving down there. I can see movement. And here they come. And she can see them beginning to work their way up the sort of um, grooves in the side of the valley where water would come down okay. from your position. Okay, yeah, I see it. All right, hold it. We wait till they're within range. And then while this is happening, uh, Alice has got his hand up, like, that he's going to telling Puck not yet. He's got his eyes fixed on the first few Wendigos that are making their way out of the forest. And he is just going to not close his eyes, but he's just going to look at his right hand and just very, very quietly to himself whisper, All right, Faustus, show me what you're made of. You feel the tingle. Uh, you feel the coalescing movement at the back of your neck and the tingle down your arm and your fingers and you feel cold steel and then warmth. Puck brings her, le like, turns her right foot to the side, steps forward, bringing her left leg up, like, curled in tight, arms above the head, down to the side, and then throws in a wide-armed arc a slider. Alistair looks to his hand and he sees no longer the old, rusty, short-barreled service revolver that he saw before. It is now a really long-barreled, still, still a pistol, and it still has the revolver cylinder, but it's inset inside a rectangular steel shroud that covers the barrel. Um, it has open sights on the top, and the whole thing is matte black with a dark wooden handle. And it looks very 
very clean and almost very modern looking somehow. Although it is still a revolver. And he kind of looks down at it. Allows himself a little smile. And then looks back to the Wendigos. He aims the gun forward. Waits a few seconds. Drops his left hand. And quietly says, Now. The canister flashes forwards almost in an arc the way that she's thrown it with uh, a spin on the canister itself it sort of arcs to the right and then down uh, in line it's going just above the heads of the Wendigos you can hear almost the whistle as it um, speeds through the air you follow it with the barrel of the gun and then you pinpoint the position and just before I pull the trigger because this is probably 60 metres away with open sights. Alistair's never really fired anything like this before. It's a tiny target. He's, like, following it. And then just before it gets above their heads, he closes his eyes mm-hmm. and just thinks about that conversation with Faustus and thinks about what he said and trusts the aim of the gun itself and squeezes the trigger. Yeah, you feel in that moment as you close your eyes, you feel the gun correct in your hands. It moves itself up a little, changes only by a few degrees uh, the angle of the barrel, and then you feel that rush of power, that almost sucking in of air, and then the expansion of heat from around the gun, and you hear a crack almost like metal shearing as the the round is shot out. It flashes almost like a tracer round. This spinning little ball of white that arcs down and intercepts the canister of Greek fire. With an explosion like a tank round, there is just a burst of fire that arcs out for metres and metres in every direction and drops into the trees, into the Wendigos as they dash from cover to cover and covers the ground. Puck scoops up another one and goes, again? Number two, right side. Alistair spins around to the other side of this um, kind of ramp of earth, ready for the second. She, again, draws up her leg and pitches forward, um, sending, instead of arcing this time, she sends it straight down. Elster repeats the same movement and fires the shot through straight through the second yep. canister. Another streak of white, another explosion, and another shower of fire. You could hear the howls and screams below you as uh, the fire drops on the Wendigos and confusion spreads. Crackling through your radio, you hear Ernest's voice telling you uh, to retreat, to pull out. Copy that. We've got them busy here. We'll head back to you now. Right. Puck scoops up the the two remaining canisters and shrugs them into her backpack and continues moving. Returning now to Heath and Ernest. So you said there was one moving towards us? Yeah, you can see a shape dashing up. Um, So Heath lets go of the two he's carrying into the two of T-operatives as he's passing them so they Mm -hmm. catch them. And as he goes, he whispers, No guns! And he rolled a 15, and he kicks off the ground. 
going up and then falls backwards down the um, the slope they've been climbing, pulling from behind him the his warhammer, which he's connected off at the middle. So it has a middle point that disconnects that makes it shorter or longer. So he mm-hmm. couldn't just... He, um, my thought is the middle bit probably got damaged in the first fight because he was just swinging it around, so that connects a bit damaged. So it's a bit shorter, and he cracks it down into this thing chasing them. It's been so long since I've fought anything, as he. It's been so long since I've fought anything. <laughs> hmm. Ten. All right, you square in the face. That's the goal, is to try and shut it up, basically. Yeah, you smash it straight in the face, like the point of the bridge of the nose the hammer just comes down and what he's going to do is as he's still flying back he is going to just punch the blunt end of the hammer to try and drive it into the ground yeah you kind of you hit it in the ground its head rams forward into the dirt as you then bring the the second blow down to try and hit even further Um, you can hear that there are other scuffles from behind it too as others have been alerted. You see one dashing forwards and there is uh, the cry of the bird as it swoops up, cup, like uh, closes its wings and spirals down and it just dives and hits into the ground. It like rams this creature as it dashes forwards you so fast. It smashes it into the ground and then the powerful spreading of the wings as you can see the beak bury into the skull, the claws latch around the shoulder and the middle of the back as the wings begin to beat and it takes off pulling the Wendigo into the air with it. Ernest is going to grab Randy and Jonah and help the other tier operatives pulling them up the hill, moving closer and closer to like that top part of the valley watching as Heath moves and fights. Ernest feels a prickle run up the scars on his back as he sees these things move in the darkness. Cool. All right. Um, he's just going to roll to see the other ones. He got a 10. So what do I see? Uh, all right. You see that there are maybe two more shapes after Donnell has taken out this other one that seem to be... Uh, there's more movement below, but you can see the glow of fire uh, further down the valley. So with a 12, Heath is going to wrench his warhammer out of this current one and take off again up the hill now towards the, the next closest one moving towards the group. Okay. Um, yeah, you managed to intercept it as well. Uh, it's 10 again. All right, you shoulder barge this one using the hammer. You, like, push your way up diagonally and you just go bang with, like, holding the, the shaft of the hammer in both hands and you kind of use the blunt end as you put your whole shoulder behind it, pivot, smash into its ribs. Uh, cool. It squeals in pain and tries to lash out at you in return. Uh, it gets an eight. It slashes out with claws, but you're already moving again. Okay, and uh, 11 plus three. Man, these rolls! Um, so, 14. Heath is going to bring the axe, the warhammer, around again. And with eight, he is going to undercut both of its legs. Yeah, you smash it to the ground. And is going to start moving up again, looking out for the next one, moving towards his group. Yeah. Um, You see the next one, and so you had said no gunfire, right? Yeah. Well, as like, last resort. They know, like, the whole goal is to get out as quietly as possible. We suddenly start shooting off shotguns. They're going to know there's a second party. Roll a quick perception check for me. All right, that's a seven. Right, you see one of the tier operatives 
uh, you're not going to make it in time, another one, and he goes for his gun to pull up the torch, flash up, you see this thing move so fast, it's like a speeding car. Uh, it comes up, he brings the gun up, and then you hear a muffled whoop, and a bullet passes through the thing's head as Sherman, further up, oh. uh, shoots it with a silencer. Um, yeah. The thing drops. Actually, it's called a suppressor, Aubrey. A suppressor. Um, this thing drops and then begins trying to kind of limp itself up again. But by this time, the the tear operative has stepped forwards instead, has used um, a knife and kind of d- drives it into the, the neck of this thing and starts backing up fast. Heath feels just an unending amount of, like, fatherly proudness. As he sees this tear operative just like kill this monster with a knife, he's like, nah, my boys. And he's gonna start running up the hill again, yep. keeping an eye out for more of them. Um, the fire down below seems to be spreading and the confusion spreading with it. No more of them are following you up the hill. Yeah. Uh, and you can see the large birds circling overhead, keeping an eye out for anything that's moving up after you, because it'll do the same. You don't know where the Wendigo went that he took. Yeah, I assume he ate it. Um <laughs> Dar- uh, Heath is going to look up it's at Darnell and signal him, spinning his arm around and pointing in the direction that he, that um, uh, Alistair and Puck went yeah, as it- he reaches the top of the the kind of crest of the the valley with the rest of his men start to head along it towards town. Yeah, it, he peels off and disappears. You make good time uh, as you catch up to them, Jonah is moving very slowly again maybe you use your yep. um, powers you shepherd your entire group and you get back to the library without any further incidents as you begin uh, to signal your arrival and the barricaded doors open and stuff you begin to hear the chain reaction of howls down below as um, the Wendigo's howl make a quick perception check for me uh, that's another seven with a seven, uh, you don't realize it I'll until. Roll for Ernest as well. Yeah, roll for Ernest. Uh, ten for Ernest. So he's been um, he's a little bit further back because he was grabbing um, Sherman and making sure that um, Ant was okay, and so yeah, a little bit further back. As you you notice uh, the grayness of the sky, as you realize that dawn can only be half an hour away. Uh, Ernst is running back. They're now into the town. They're probably uh, 10 metres or so behind the rest of the group. Um, He's got uh, Anthony with him and Sherman, and he's starting to to walk ahead to try and find and talk to to Randy when he stops and looks back and sees this the uh, dawn finally breaking, and he's going to wait, looking out along the main street, waiting to see Alistair. Yeah, you see them rounding the corner, um, jogging fairly easily. They don't look like they're being pursued or anything. Alistair reaches you, panting and out of breath. Hey, man. How'd you get Randy? Uh, puts his hand on Alistair's shoulder and says, We got them. Two of them, at least. Okay. Two of them. Randy and one of yours. Randy and... Okay. Okay. Well done. We uh, we took a couple with us, I think. Oh, I think Heath took a couple with him and Sherman. I'm just going to say, yeah. uh, Sherman MVP. Yeah. Uh, like, my sure. God. Uh, anyway. 
right. Have you seen American well, Sniper? As <laughs> he's starting to walk with you towards the town. <laughs> Alistair looks up to the sky, and you can see the relief kind of settling over his face as he sees the the sort of slightly darker grey of the light rising over the trees. He's like, well, I guess we survived one night. Ernest grins and pats you on the back. He's like, yeah, I reckon uh, we've got a fighting chance. Dark Tides is Chester Lydon as Ernest Marsh and Heath O'Sullivan, BJ Ingate as Alistair Stern and Randy Officer, last name not given. Uh, if you enjoy our show, you can check us out on most forms of social media. We're on Twitter at twitter.com slash darktidespod, Facebook at facebook.com slash darktidespod. We also have a fun little Facebook group called the Paranormal Podcast Collective. It is a place for uh, lovers and appreciators of paranormal themed audio dramas to hang out to recommend shows to each other to geek out over these things um, and it's a place for podcast creators to interact with their fans so if you have a podcast you can email us and we'll pop you in that group uh, and if you're a listener who enjoys these things you can check it out for more recommendations and news and updates about a bunch of different shows uh, we have a wonderful patreon where uh, many of you support us in making this show we have a bunch of fun bonus content there uh, bonus miniseries, uh, behind-the-scenes chat shows, all sorts of fun things. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash darktides. We will see you next week with another fun-packed episode. Until then, bye-bye.